Hello there, my name is Kathleen, and this is the Osborne Tapes, the re-release of the Analyst Corner podcast with Debbie Osborne. Today's episode is about building better analytic units and features Matthew White, a pioneer in crime and intelligence analysis. Matthew developed a well-respected guide titled Enhancing the Problem-Solving Capacity of Crime Analysis Units. After serving as an analyst and consultant, he went on to become the director at the Northeast Florida Fusion Center and is now with the NCIS as a senior intelligence specialist. In this episode, Debbie and Matthew discuss how to enhance your department's crime analysts and analytical skills. And he also touches on the various barriers to implementing new and improved procedures within a department and how to work to overcome them. Linked in the notes is Matthew's tool guide for enhancing capacity of crime analysts. And be sure to check it out and see how your experience may align with what he discusses. Now let's get into today's episode. Today's topic is building better analytical units. Our guest is Matt White. Matt has a state-of-the-art analysis team in the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office in Florida and is the author of the Problem-Oriented Policing Guide, Enhancing the Problem-Solving Capacity of Crime Analysis Units. Hello, Matt. Welcome to the show. Oh, Thank you very much. Happy to be with you. I'm really glad to have you. Um, I have the greatest respect for, for Matt, um, even though I've actually never been at his unit, but I, but I had an intern um, from my office when I worked for the Buffalo Police Department come down to the, to the unit and, and see, and she said, oh, you would really love to work there. And then I also had a former intern who worked with me as now an, an employee of your unit. So, Matt, maybe you could tell us a bit about what an analytical unit is, because some of our listeners will be um, the public, criminal justice students, they won't be necessarily familiar with the concept. Sure, and I'd like to point out that part of building a good unit is stealing good talent where you can, and uh, Buffalo, New York uh, definitely got us one great person, <laughs> so thank you. But, um, you know, criminalysis, I mean, you know, obviously there's a lot of confusion all the time, and I think some of your other radio uh, guests have spoken to, the, you know, the whole CSI syndrome and all that. But, um, but at the end of the day, <clears throat> an analyst unit is really what we're trying to build here is in-house consulting for everyone from officers to, for us, the sheriff um, work. We're consolidated police sheriff agency. We're both, <clears throat> and 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 that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to build that analytical capability so that we can do everything smarter within our agency. Everything from finding that finding that bad guy faster and easier and smarter to running running the agency faster and better. Um, I think a lot of p- places kind of um, split it out into different units. Here, really, it's it's kind of a holistic analytical approach that we're trying to establish. So you would say if if the citizens who don't know what an analytical unit is and its value, why would an agency want one? I mean, when they you say we're making better decisions, what do the analysts add? What what do they do that that isn't done in general by the officers? Sure. Well, well, well the the big addition that you get with, with analysts and the, and the, really the re- thing that's driving the field. Um, is, is it, they're no longer kind of detectives without badges who are basically doing a lot of kind of administrative or, or paper-type work to support maybe a detectives or, or to put stuff into a big report for the chief um, that you know, more planners maybe used to do. Um, data, just the volumes of data that we've got and the technology is rolling forward so fast that even very technical people, it's hard to keep up with. And what analysts really bring is that ability that they're kind of that tweener between the whole IT world and the data world and the practitioner on the ground trying to get things done effectively. Um, that's, they're, the, they're the business analysts of a police agency, whether the police agency really knows it or not, uh, when, they're, when they're properly put in place. And what they're allowing you to do then is leverage all this incredible data that, you know, people keep talking about drinking from a fire hose, they can't drink it. Well, you can drink it. You have to have a strong analytical unit to drink it. And a lot of the benefits that you get out of an analytical unit actually turn out to be things that you roll out to police officers where they can really quickly and easily get data or whatever they need themselves because the process or, or the way of getting the information or the data they need has essentially already been figured out and vetted through your IT and your analysts. And, and, and basically, since analysis has grown as a profession because of the accessibility of data, what, what kinds of data are we talking about here? You're talking about drinking from the hose. There's what you're referring to, I know, maybe some of our listeners doesn't, don't know, is that we just now with information technology, the information age, we have so much data that we now could find out so many new things we, didn't, we weren't able to find out before because they were in file drawers, um, in other offices, and just um, in people's heads and they didn't document them. So what kinds of things 
what kinds of data does a good analysis unit or a better analysis unit need? Well, there's there's really two dimensions to it. There, there's the amount of data, and then there's the quality of the data or tools that get around the problems with the quality of the data. Um, those are really kind of the two things, you know, you really need to focus on. I mean, I always talk about people doing, you know, trying to hire analysts, and, and they hire these analysts, and they do all this work, but they build a castle on sand because data is really, uh, you know, fundamental. It's it's really, you know, the, the ability to use data quickly is really, that's the currency of the analyst, um, um, you know, which um, I was talking to Jim Mallard about. Um, and so the good data you want to get, but if you can't get everything under the sun, you know, make sure what you get is good. So, for example, incident data, you know, call data, these, these basic things everybody should have. You know, a lot of agencies, unfortunately, still don't. But everybody should have kind of that, that crime data. But crime data is really only the start, which you're going to need for a good analytical unit. Um, you're going to really need to get the data in every circumstance you can. I mean, we had a case where we would have caught a serial rapist after four incidents, but because our, our correction, Department of Corrections had a web interface that they wanted us to use for searching, and, and at the time we couldn't get through to the right person to get, actually get all the data we wanted, um, that, that person got away with more of those. Um, had we had the data on the front end, we, we would have been all over it. So that's the kind of thing we, we really focus on is getting the data, because once you have the data, if you've got a good structure in your analytical unit, you can create all the kinds of reporting anybody's going to want, and you can mix things up the way you want. But instead of more tools, you want more data and less tools. You know what I mean? That, that's really what you're trying to do. And once you get that data, you can see the problems with it. If you're relying on something somebody else has programmed, it's very hard to understand what you're not getting. And that's really what kills you in the end as an analyst, is not knowing what you don't know. When you have the data, you have that, that full ability to view it, see it, clean it up, fix it, Automate processes to clean it up is what I'm talking about. Um, you know, I'm, you know, I always struggle with people that clean up data all the time, so they spend half their time cleaning data and, you know, <laughs> third of their time doing analysis. Um, but that's all part of what you need to build into analysis is, is so that analysts have good data and then as much data as possible. Right, and um, for our listeners who don't know, cleaning data means fixing all the things that don't work when you're searching for things, you know, all the errors as much as possible, and you never could do that 100%. But, and just to echo what you said about what we don't know, for example, recently in Buffalo there was a serial robber, and he robbed a few banks, a few gas stations. He had just gotten out of prison, and I'm not sure if that information was available right away, you know, the MO information that this person who had twice been in jail for the same sort of thing had just gotten released. You know, you just the more information we have as analysts, the more likely we can aid officers in apprehending criminals and preventing crimes. So, sure. Um, anyway. I was going to um, say, I was gonna say there, there's a lot, I mean, we've had examples where people wearing ankle bracelets are, you know, on a robbery uh, spree, you know what I mean, and, and they had mm -hmm. ankle bracelets on the whole time, and th that's because there's data out there, but it's not being, it's not getting to analysts, or it's not getting harnessed in the right ways. Um, and there's a lot of examples of that, and it's not just tactical. I mean, showing for people talk about, you know, your your crimes going up, your violence is going up, and a lot of times, you know, there's a some, you know, the assumption that it's going up in the same neighborhoods. Well, how do you know? I mean, if you have the right technology and the data, in five minutes you can show whether the square mileage based on averages, whether your violence is spreading or whether it's actually in the same area. Uh, in volume, you know, something like a density mapping or something like that. There's a lot of different things you can do, and it really comes, it goes from the top to the bottom in terms of tactical, operational, or strategic. Right, and, and another example might be 911 calls. You might have a problem location, and if no one's analyzing that, you're wasting a lot of police resources. It might not be a crime situation, but a type of call that officers have to respond to, but it might be someone mentally ill calling a lot who needs social services, and, and that's not put in place for that individual or, or children abusing the system or, or some other kind of person abusing the system and wasting a lot of police resources. So it's not just about crime. It's about using police resources effectively. Sure. Um, we, we've actually had to deal with a couple of people that were, were, you know, really burning up the phones for us for a long time and, and making an arrest. Um, we've also had situations where we use the same data to um, look into people milking calls, you know, officers milking calls and, 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 you know, to make sure that, you know, they're being effective, you know, make sure we don't have a problem with that. So it, it comes at it from, you know, these administrative angles, these crime fronting angles, these crime prevention angles, and that's really where the power is. The problem is, is that stuff gets very complicated very fast if you want to do a good job, and that's why you need an analyst with that kind of specialized skill set. You know that, that kind of bridges the gap between the, the intelligence on the street or what's going on versus the data and, and the tools that can be used to leverage those things. 
and and that speaks to something I don't hear people talk about is um, that accessibility for analysts to talk to police staff because you know um, I've been aware of units that are really isolated from officers um, and and I don't know I I see that that can be a problem because you don't you need that communication between the data and the people who are using the data sure, and the, sure. and the products anal- analytical products but. So you have we have data issues. Um, we can talk probably for 20 shows on those. But but building a good <laughs> analysis unit or a better analytical unit, we need staff too. And so maybe you could speak a bit about what who who makes a good analyst and what how you staff Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. Sure. Well, what we try and do is I mean we really we really focus on pushing the notion of analysts as consultants. Um, I know in a lot of places, analyst units uh, may be buried down a chain under a sergeant or something, you know, in various random places. And I think a lot of people play this shell game with where analysts go, trying to figure out what will work. Um, and so they put them over here for a while and then they move them over here. Um, but again, you know, they, have, they need to have that vision of what, what really the analyst's role is. Um, if you put them under investigative unit, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to do investigative support only uh, or or dominant you know they're going to be dominated by that kind of that kind of role so you really have to get outside of that a little bit and you need to think about okay what do they want to do we want people that can consult and we want them to be able to make the jump to supporting uh you know we're going to give them assignments but throughout their career they need to be able to jump from maybe a couple of years with an intelligence unit a couple of years with patrol they need to be able to do that kind of work and really build that broad background history and what I found, and unfortunately, you know, sometimes uh, swarms will get upset with me, is I've found that it's a lot, a lot easier to get someone who's interested in crime or social science type things that has the technical background, um, and, and really over a year or two they get to learn that crime side, and then of course over five, six years they become very, very good. Um, it's much harder typically to take the person with a lot of uh, criminology or law enforcement background, no technology, and make them effective. Um, that becomes harder because people don't naturally always want to learn technology. Um, so you really have to strike that balance that you, what the ideal candidate that we look for every time is a person that has some criminology background or something like, you know, something very social science oriented that would relate as well as technology. We also don't try and get the same person every time. We want people that are going to bring new skills. Maybe they use software that we think might be interesting to add to, you know, kind of add to our repertoire, or they maybe have some background experience with, the, you know, some census agency or something. Done something. We, try and, we try and bring in a diverse group of people rather than trying to get that cookie cutter, you know, criminology degree or, or whatever into our unit. That's really what we try and do because what we find, uh, we're centralized, what we find is that way they learn from each other and they it really broadens them. And, and then when you have that niche need, you've got somebody in the office that really has kind of an expertise maybe more toward that side that you can you, know, you can really, you know, count on coming through for you with the kind of information you need. So you, you have a centralized unit and so obviously you see a benefit to that. Well, I mean, I, I was at a I was at a conference um, just recently. One of the things I was explaining because they were discussing the whole centralized, decentralized. I mean, I believe in the centralized unit, but but the reason I do is probably not why people would think I would. I'm not, you know, I believe that having analysts out working with people is very important. For example, here they all have laptops that mirror their desktops, and they have cell cards. They can go anywhere and work. Um, they can even work from home if there's a call out and they're supporting, you know, aggravated battery and there's a shooting. Um, we want them to have that flexibility, and they can leave our office as long as they want, as long as they're doing analysis. I don't believe most police agencies, unfortunately, in terms of analysis, are mature enough to permanently put analysts out on an island by themselves with officers. Um, in my experience, what you see is you see analysts that are really start getting tasked by that chain because, again, they're not protected. They're under that chain's command usually. Um, in some cases, I think like Arlington some other places, you know, they, they have kind of a hybrid. But... They may be mature enough to handle it, you know, but you don't want that person going out there and stuffing envelopes or helping them fix their computers or doing things like that. And that's the kind of stuff they kind of get often get dragged into. Um, and you have to be careful there. You want to build a relationship and you want them out there. So if it takes them five minutes to help fix their computer out there, you know, you'd probably want to do that for the relationship side of it because that's so important. But they're really there to do analysis. And if if your command structure, if your agency from a vision standpoint doesn't see analysts in their proper context, proper role, and they're not getting uh, – they don't have the tools they need to really go out there and be successful in adding value to analysis – 
then they'll start using them to add value in other ways, and that's what you have to avoid. And I, and I, and I think the field of analysis is really still maturing. I, I, I mean, I know we've come a long way, but I think there's so far to go. And I think that an agency really has to be very mature to be able to put analysts out in those areas and have them really doing full-on analysis all the time and have them not falling behind on the technology and the ideas that they get out of a centralized unit. You know, when we've got a centralized unit, they're bouncing ideas off each other, and they're all very technical and speaking in technical terms often in terms of how can we leverage this technology or this data to really do something amazing, you know, on this project or on, on this investigation or looking into this criminal network. That's the kind of thing you will lose when you take that person out unless they are already very expert and can't gain a lot from other analysts, which is extremely rare, then I think you're, you're probably in a, in, a, in terms of the sum game, you're in, you're in a losing situation by decentralizing. Long term, what I've seen is analysts who are decentralized do not evolve their skill sets. There's three, you go back three years later and they still know the same tools and the same skills for the most part. We take a centralized unit with a lot of technical people and they have made leaps and bounds forward in terms of what they're capable of doing. That's the reality of what I've seen. And you have mentioned that it takes four to five years to become a good analyst in one area and we were we will be talking about leaping from crime analysis to intelligence analysis or doing both but that four to five years is a long time and i i agree with you having been an analyst and knowing how long it took me to figure things out and how much i learned even i worked 10 years in the last Mm -hmm. few years how much i grew quickly but it took years to get to that point and so um, I, I know some agencies are hiring contract analysts. How do you feel about that? Um, contract analysts, you know, it, it really depends on what your vision for an analyst is. I mean, I think a contract, hiring an analyst on contract could be a good thing, but that's usually because what you're trying to get is a very kind of canned product. Um, you know, part of becoming a good, I can bring in a good analyst, um, you know, maybe Stephen Strauss School is very technical, teach them where the data is, that kind of stuff. And it won't be that they aren't effective right away in being helpful and adding value because just through their maybe their technical skills they can do that already. The, but what really what really you know when you get an analyst you really want them to learn that interpersonal side dealing with the officers really being able to call out from those those people you know their knowledge on the streets their kinds of things so that you can marry it to the data. And with a contract analyst I think it's much harder to get that. It's much harder to get that sense of teamwork and that sense of kind of um you know community you got you know you're all here to do a job to help the community that's a harder thing to get um you know when you when you go that kind of route um not against it again and obviously from a money standpoint and if you need certain kinds of canned things you know for example you want a lot of reporting for for a comps that mean well that should be automated anyway so if you're going to do consult on that Great, have at it. You know, if, that, if that's really what you're trying to get out of the, that 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 analyst that's coming and, and you're paying them on, on contract on the side like that, um, I think the other thing you lose there is, is one of the, one of the one of the good things about government work and analysts that are hired by our agency is, you know, we don't pay nearly enough across the board in this country for analysts. I mean, we expect them to know in depth, you know, GIS technology. We expect them to know relational databases. We expect them to know statistics. We expect them to know geographic profile. We expect them to know things about policing. Any one of these fields you can have a salary on if you only know one. We, we're combining all these things and telling them they have to have good interpersonal skills with officers and we want to pay anywhere from high 20s to low 40s or maybe 50s in salary when they could go get a job in any one niche of those different things and probably make similar money. And a benefit you have is, is being a government agency, you've got a pension or a good 401. I mean, so you've got things that if you hire them permanently, you're going to be able to keep them on board, even if you can't pay them the kind of money you should be paying them. And I think we all need to work on raising the, need to work on raising those skill sets and the capability and the salary, and those things go together. And um, also, I think having an analyst who's working in an agency for a while, you get to, you actually have institutional knowledge. You know about your crime and and disorder problems. And so your questions you ask of the data are more intelligence because you know what's what's normal, what's not normal. You already you you've been there, you've been embedded in the system. But absolutely I mean that's a great additional point. That's absolutely true. But in speaking to that um wage and and um retaining staff, you are one of the few people that I know of who who have a higher level position in a law enforcement agency where you're considered management and and in some of the interviewing I've done for other projects and my research into this field um the the reality is until we have more analysts who are managers or managers who have been analysts <laughs> um who really understand the needs and the value of analysis 
it's still going to be slow going for most of us in the in the country, you know. And so you have you you might speak to a bit about what what is the role you have in Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing I'm really fortunate, I mean, we really have leadership that has had a vision for analysis. They weren't satisfied with what they had. Um, they essentially brought me in and gave me the car keys six years ago. And, um, and, and you know, it's funny, they tried to actually throw money at, at, you know, money at me saying, what do you need to buy? And they had a lot of the softwares they needed. They had a lot of the stuff. The problem was the analysts hadn't been set up to succeed. And, you know, really here the way we, we've and we, we've grown. When I came, we had six analysts. Um, you know, we've got 18 now that that sounds like a you know actually I've got probably twenty but but if we've got manager a little structure in there now, um, but I mean the reason I mean, the reason we were able to grow is because of they like what they got you know we kind of won them over very much on the tactical side but now a lot of our our people are really seeing a lot of the operational and strategic you know things that we can do um, we're moving more toward problem oriented stuff as much as we can uh, so. That was a very uh, conscious strategy is, is you know that you can win over police with, through tactical. You win them over through tactical, and then you help them because at the end of the day, they really understand like uh, Ratcliffe's crime funnel. If you really, if you really talk about, you know, I, I don't know if, how much, uh, you know, listeners know about the crime funnel, but you really talk about the fact that you've got all these crimes and, you know, you're not going to rest your way out of this problem. And doing tactical better, you know what I mean, in the end of the day is is not going to help you if your jails are full and you can't, you know, you've no more capacity to deal with the people you're arresting. So getting that balance is part of intelligent policing between what really works, which is, you know, get those worst people and then solve problems. That's where an analyst can, you know, can really, can really come through uh, when you build it right. But you've got to build it. And part of building that is, you know, having a structure that's going to retain people, make people want to be where they're at. We have a crime analyst one. We've we've got a crime analyst two, which is non-management. And a lot of analysts don't want to be managers, but they still want to move up and make more money. That's a very hard thing to get at uh, politically at an agency. So we have a crime analyst two position that allows them to get a 10% bump um, when they're ready for that. We do have supervisors um, that supervise, you know, a small group. They're kind of a working supervisor. They're still doing analysis, but they're kind of leading a team of, of you know, about four people. And then we have the, the manager. And I'm actually over the manager. I'm actually on sheriff staff here, which, um, again, the fact that I report to very high levels is the reason we can make things happen. When you, when you have to communicate things, if you put IT or crime analysis or anything technical uh, through multiple layers of bureaucracy, especially police agency where the bureaucracy is not necessarily naturally technical, and you have to communicate your needs and the issues and the problems through those layers, you, you might as well say goodnight. It's just not going to happen very well. Um, it'd take a, really an exceptional chain of command or exceptional drive from the top to make sure that nothing got filtered out or confused on the on the way up passing those those kind of messages and information and needs and and, and things back and forth. Analysis analysis really needs to be integrated top to bottom with the agency. But you know, and and that you know, and and following that, you know, I've got to be able to deal with the undersheriff, the sheriff, and talk to them about things when I need to, if I need to. Um, you know, I need to deal at high levels with them as the person that's overseeing the analyst. You know, and, you know, and the and the analysts need to feel like they're not above or below anybody. Their job is to consult whether they're working on a project with a chief or whether they're working on a project with an officer. They need to feel. Uh, get out of that kind of uh, linear hierarchy and get off to the side and realize that they're a consultant. And depending on who works, who they're working with, and the nature of the project and the level of the project, that's where they're at for the moment in the agency. And so we're facing very hard economic times. It seems, if anyone watching the news lately, <laughs> um, what is the? I just wrote an article to be out in LawOfficer.com online magazine about how analysts could save money, and I just used a tactical example but how do analysts what's the value of analysts because i don't want to see analysts laid off you know sure. i think we, we sure. are really force multipliers but how does that work well i mean i can tell you here we've done you know a lot of different projects that have saved tons of money i mean um now granted we 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 kind of bridge the gap between sometimes what other people would think kind of gets into planning types of stuff but um you know it's it's been people under me that determined that you know by changing shifts at our at our jail remember we're 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 police and sheriff together so but in our jail we you know a way to save three million dollars if if times get tough enough, we can save three million dollars that that's based on analysis you know what i mean that 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 entire um that entire idea is really comes out of the data and the leveraging the tools to figure these things out. Um, 
you know, as far as, you know, response time and calls do. Well, analysis is what you can see. You can see where your officers are being more effective and how they're responding to calls and figure out why they're being more effective than other ones. I mean, all these administrative things that can save you tons of money, um, really most of the, a lot of the major things here have come out of analysis. You know, we used to not have aggra- uh, aggravated batteries followed up on unless it was, ex- you know, someone got killed and the homicide respond. And it would often, you know, shootings would actually get a patrol follow-up and wouldn't because, you know, well, why, why do we have so many people investigating auto theft when we're not doing professional investigation follow-up on an aggravated battery shooting? Um, that comes out of analysis. A- analysis showed the need, you know, that we need to follow up with this stuff, you know, so we're going to transfer some uh, detectives or actually in transfer and we kind of shifted other things around. But, you know, we need to start having professional investigation of these shooting into occupied dwellings because this is the tit for tat that's going to end up in the murder. So we need that kind of investigative power. How do you focus on your worst people? Well, we've ranked the top 20,000 people, you know, essentially. Um, you know, that that's something that, you know, we're, you know, we're really looking at, you know, what's going on with their activity. So there's a lot of different things you can do to be more effective, but unfortunately it all boils down to the kind of analysis and tools that your average person is not going to be able to deal well with. Right. And so what kind of tools do analysts need in a good unit? Um, typically, you know, um, you know, typically what I would say is build the unit, look at the data, build the unit off the data. In other words, make sure you're getting good data. If I were starting it from scratch, I would probably spend more, my, I wouldn't even start hiring analysts necessarily. Right? I'd really look at what we have in data, what, we, what you need to get in data, and then building a structure on top of that data with, with the tools. Um, one thing we do that's kind of reverse of a lot of places is we don't kind of tack on mapping at the you know at the end. We don't like do a bunch of stuff and databases pull it out and then map it. You know we get we geocode every address. I mean when an analyst walks in, people talk about digital dashboards and people are falling in love kind of with OLAP cubes probably a little prematurely. You know a dashboard is no good without a windshield. Mapping is your windshield. That's where you can walk in and you can say, here's everything that happened over the last three days, last 48 hours. Here's all the stores that were broken into. You know, whatever it is that you want to you, you want to define on that map, you should be able to come in and have it already defined for you or on the fly define what you want to see based on what you hear is going on. And drilling down into that map then, you know, whether it be clusters or looking at, you know, the nature of different, uh, different, you know, you, you got a bunch of um, fast food places that are hit or whatever. Dealing, na- drilling into the nature of the problem there, clicking, you know, clicking on dots, reading reports, not having to type in 12-digit or 10-digit or 8-digit, um, you know, case numbers every time you want to look at a case. That kind of speed on the fly stuff, you can build through GIS. And then on the back end, you've got all the data and you can use, you know, either either the geographic tools, um, or you can go straight to then to use other tools that you want to use, whether it be Excel or anything, you know, tapping into the, to, in our case, it would be SQL databases with, you know, with Excel or, or link tools, you know, those kinds of things. But having that ability to know what's going on and have that windshield first, worrying about that, and the mistake a lot of people do is they try and plug GIS on the back end. Uh, they've already got a bunch of traditional database or traditional Excel spreadsheet ways of doing business, and then they're trying to add GIS on the backside. It doesn't work very well. You really need to think about re-engineering your unit. You know, if, you know, literally here things that when I came here would, couldn't be done, took days or weeks to do or many hours to do, literally can get done now in five minutes, two minutes, half an hour, half a day. That's the kind of time savings you're talking about. So without making your analysts more brilliant, you've already made them ten times more effective because they simply have so much more speed and flexibility with seeing what's going on and getting people what they want. Right. In the primitive stages of crime analysis where some agencies still function, the analysts simply make maps and they, they make the products no one else can make and they don't have the time to analyze because much of their work is not automated. Like you said, it what used to take days or weeks now for Jacksonville isn't even an issue. It's automated, and so the analysts are free to to ask good questions of the information so that they can inform the officers on the street or the commanders what it is that is going on that can make a difference in, in preventing crime or arresting someone. And, and I think that um, many agencies, because people don't understand the technology, don't realize that automation doesn't get rid of the analysis. It just opens up doors for much, much better analysis. Yeah, I think uh, it really speaks to the benefit of good relations, for example, between IT and an analyst. Um, you know, it's kind of funny in an article I had recently written about me. I talk about you know how most a lot of places deal with you know analysis really being a crutch for 
um, you know, ineffectiveness in maybe your IT or in, in other, you know, or even 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 a crutch for um, administrative assistants or secretaries. You know, doing PowerPoint because secretaries never were forced to learn PowerPoint, so an analyst gets stuck in that role. Well, you know, we've made a lot of progress here, and I feel bad because my IT head did, I didn't like the way I termed it, you know, but but he's a great guy. We have a great relationship, um, and we're really working on trying to bridge that gap because in a lot of agencies, and, and if you're in a medium or small agency, you're probably really lucky because you probably have a better relationship, especially in a lot of ma- big, larger agencies. There is a fundamental uh, gap, uh, you know, and there's a fundamental weakness in that analyst-IT relationship, and part of that relationship is what helps you build the right automation that gets people exactly what they want. Um, you know, when I came here, we didn't have that relationship, and we really, as analysts, really took on a, a very heavy role in getting uh, all this reporting automated and all this stuff. Um, and so we've had to really work through work through getting that relationship better, and, and I'm really happy to say we're on the right track. Um, but I know that, you know, I'm, I won't get into cities, but I know at the cities where, you know, you've had major issues, IT heads fired, you know what I mean, uh, because of battles with, with analysts. As analysts, become uh kind of rise to the top and they they're, they're technical enough that they can't be buffaloed um i think a lot of and a lot of traditional agencies they have problems with that um you know here you really analysts and uh you know myself and gary who's the head of it we're on the same level we report to the same person that really makes for building an effective relationship and 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 that's something that i think a lot of people are going to struggle with and you definitely have an even more complicated problem when your city is in charge of your data because that really adds in a whole other dimension that you got to deal with in terms of personalities and and understanding of what analysts do you know you can't people don't know what analysts do and that's why you know one of the reasons we're having this discussion and why you put this stuff out there and if you know if people don't know what analysts do you can't expect IT or anybody else to know what they can do and worse you can't expect them to understand that analysts are really uh, de facto business analysts for you they're a focus group for you to tell you what officers need because they're the ones officers are going to to get a lot of this information so they can really be a huge benefit to IT if you can build that relationship right Right, and traditionally, like say for UCR reporting, the Uniform Crime Report, um, data has been collected in the old days of the early computers just to make count, do counting, yep. and reports for lawyers, <laughs> and not you know not in statistics perhaps and perhaps trends, but not so much like what does this mean and how can we use the information to solve problems, um, and and crime and intelligence analysis, I deliberately say. Um, the development of crime and intelligence analysis, not crime analysis, intelligence analysis, because I believe that the good analyst needs to have crime data and intelligence information. And so maybe you could speak a bit about that subject. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the subjects that, you know, we've definitely uh, um, been thinking about for a long time. And and as an agency, we've really, you know, we've really thought about that. When I say as an agency, I mean literally me, the sheriff, head of intel, you know, people having these discussions and debates on things. And um, you know, really, at the end of the day, you know, the, the the direction we went as an agency is look, you know, people tend to draw this kind of if you see it on a piece of paper, you put crime and intel- crime analysis on one side and intelligence there, and you draw a vertical line between them. That's really the kind of the divide people keep trying to make. And there's a lot of reasons for that, and there's a lot of confusion over it. And um, that's a whole other, you know, you could do a whole show on that. But what we've done is say, look, that line doesn't make sense. The line, the real lines that you you need to think about are the are the lateral lines from the kind of tactical level stuff up to the high level stuff. If you're doing analysis, I don't care if you're doing tactical stuff, I don't care if you're doing strategic stuff, you need to be in constant contact with the people who are who are really on the front line of that, whatever the project is. And then your job is to act as that resource and that, you know, sometimes it's a coordinating body, sometimes you're really leading the charge, it depends on the project, in getting, you know, improvements done, getting more effectiveness out of whatever you're trying to do, whether it be catching guy, bad guys, figuring out who knows who, or, or whether it means, you know, trying to save money for your agency. Those lines really are lateral. It's, in other words, it's the tactical low-level stuff. It's the high-level strategic stuff. And you're going to have more difference in terms of between the tactical and the strategic, whether it be supporting intel, you know, because intelligence, you know, and, and depending on who you talk to, intelligence really is more of a research planning function. You know what I mean? A lot of this comes out of kind of the CIA model and looking at, you know, larger trends. But then you talk to other people and they're thinking about the kind of the, the military mindset of battlefield, you know, you know, targeting, right, target, targeting, uh, the, you know, the bad guys in the battlefield kind of, kind of uh, uh, mentality in terms of intelligence. Well, neither one of those are right or wrong. They're just different versions of the word, essentially. And in either case, the analyst needs to be working with, you know, working with whoever's on the front lines. So we've really kind of tried to remove that line. You know, our analysts, you know, we call them public safety analysts because um, 
we actually don't want them to be thought of as crime or intelligence. You know, I know that in our agency and other agencies, when UASI money came through, it's kind of interesting because um, the intelligence unit really looked at, at, at um, you know, kind of hiring or getting crime analysts as intelligence analysts. Well, if those are the people they're trying to hire because they, they're, they're already supporting them, they know they can, they can do, you know, that's not a very big jump apparently because that's who they're trying to hire, and this has happened in a lot of places. You know, the, the jump, you know, I kind of laugh sometimes. The jump between a crime analyst and an intelligence analyst, you know, you know, people act like it's some big deal, yet police officers routinely go from patrol to economic crimes to community affairs to SWAT. I mean, those jumps are so much more drastic in terms of expertise and understanding and knowledge of how you do your job than the jump between a crime analyst and an intelligence analyst, even in the most traditional definitions, that it's kind of a ridiculous it's kind of a ridiculous argument. Um, so what I try and say is, is, look, you know, my intelligence analyst next next year might get transferred to to do something under patrol. That's going to enrich him. He's going to be a better analyst for it, supporting our agency as a whole. And we're going to bring somebody else, intelligence analyst, get up to speed on what they're trying to do and the kind of you know the kind of analysis that really is what they need in their support. Um, but again, the skill sets transfer very. It's very fluid in terms of how they transfer. I think a lot of intelligence analysts need to be careful, too, getting caught up in kind of what's happened to planning in this country. I think you see a situation where, with all the automation, a lot of um, a lot of call stuff, a lot of stuff that used to be project work for planners really can now be done by the executives themselves. Same thing with intelligence analysts. If you're not adding value through you know, through the technology and all these tools and all these kinds of things that are really helping you combine that raw intelligence and turn it into something that they can use to go make cases or, or, or provide information to people about what's going on. If you can't do that, then you are in danger of becoming kind of an obsolete position. And, um, you know, one thing about crime analysis you have to give the field credit for is um, crime analysis has really stayed stayed with the changing technology in a way that allows them um, a much better chance at, at kind of becoming obsolete. I mean, in the end of the day, you know, we, we want to push all, a lot of all this analysis out to officers. You know, that's a good thing. A lot of things people, I think, are afraid of that. They think, you know, crime analysis won't be needed. Look, there's so much more sophisticated stuff that needs to be done. I mean, look at police agencies, how they run compared to Toyota. Come on, you can't tell me there's not worlds of analytical improvements to be done. Analysts need to be, always be staying ahead. As something becomes something to be automated and given to officers, great, give it to them. Let the analysts move forward to the next new technology or the next new sophisticated way, sophisticated way of studying something. Which also is, benefits ultimately the citizens because that work we do as police agencies is for to improve the safety of the communities and the better we use our information, the things we know, all our resources to be more effective, then the ultimate people benefit our everyone, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, But I think just for the listeners, I might explain that traditionally, and this is a very, very simplified version, crime analysts focus on crime incidents or call data and general um, street-level police information about crimes and not so much the people, whereas intelligence analysts focus on traditionally organized crime groups or um, suspected criminals or suspected criminal activity that isn't um, supported necessarily by crime incidents. So it's, it's, it's mirroring those two things. Like if I had a burglary problem in, in the city and it had a, um, an MO that was more professional than not, like a way of stealing something that wasn't just a drug addict, you know, like a smash and grab from a car, or, I mean from a house, going into a house and just taking something that was clearly low-level crime. And I didn't know anything about the organized crime in my city, the kinds of conclusions I would come to would be incorrect. I might have the answers in the intelligence unit, but I wouldn't know them because all I'm looking at is the crime incidents. So it's it's getting that information and, and making it available to have that broader understanding of what's really going on that, that really matters. Um, so problem-oriented policing um, is, is something some of our listeners don't know much about, um, and it would be too difficult to explain it in, um, in any depth on yeah. this show. But There's what, another show for you. <laughs> but the problem-solving capacity of crime analysis units, um, you wrote a guide on enhancing that. What, does, what, what was that guide about? I mean, and the guide, and, and the guide really um, is about building a unit. Um, Problem-oriented policing, um, it, you know, that's obviously funded, and that's really what I was try trying to get at with the way I'm talking about it. 
but at the end of the day, that kind of thing is doesn't matter if you do you know, problematic policing is is simply something that um, I think a lot of agencies do when they have time. You no, know, naturally, I mean, they really they really do. The problem is, is where do they get that time? Um, you know, in problematic policing, you're really just trying to split off from you know and start you know getting away from kind of the 911 you know uh, uh, mentality. You know, ch- you know, j- chasing down the bad guys as it happens, trying to get on patterns as fast as you can. You know, so that you can make an arrest at the third burglary rather than the twelfth. Um, all that stuff is important, um, but you're still speeding up a cycle. Um, you're not necessarily changing the cycle. So in problem-oriented policing, what you're trying to do is, is really become that you know boxer that also has a good left left hand, not just a good uh, good right right. And you really want to start you know kind of dissecting the problems and, and making program changes, changing things in your city. A lot of times it's changing the way businesses operate, which is a very difficult thing to do. And, and um, you know officers aren't necessarily they didn't become police to have to pester a business owner with phone calls. Um, you know, they didn't necessarily sign on for that. And and same with analysts. A lot of analysts really like doing the tactical because, you know, that is really kind of why they got in the game. The problem is, is that that only take you so far as an agency, um, you know, and, and as budgets get tighter, uh, you know, and, and the demand gap, you know, the number of officers to the number of crimes you're having swells. Um, if you don't start getting on top of the problems, you know, you're, 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 you're in a losing, uh, you're in a losing uh, trend. And you and I'm looking at your guide. You you ask the question. You have nine questions. One of them is, are your analysts free to be objective? Can you explain why that's important? I mean, sure. One of, one of the benefits that I probably didn't mention before to being, um, you know, under an analyst chain that goes very closer to the top, is that you know. I can protect analysts from stuff that is an analysis, but I can also protect them from stuff um, that is trying to make people look good for political reasons. And, and, you know, every chief, every lieutenant, I mean, everybody wants to look good, you know. And there's a tendency, um, you know, unfortunately, it's the reality is is that, you know, if they're doing a project, they want it to look good, and they're going to want to kind of bend those numbers and twist those numbers to say, see my program or my effort or we made lots of arrests. And, and there's that there's that unfortunate um, natural tendency to do that. On the analyst side, you know, the analyst has to be able to, you know, to say, you know, I, I can't, I can't put that in the report. If we put this in, we have to put this in because, and they really need to be able to work with that person, you know, and say, look, you know, objectively speaking, this didn't work. Now that's not necessarily bad. Why don't we, why don't we really sell this to the chief and the sheriff, saying, look, we tried this approach, it didn't really work so well, but at least we now know we can move on to this approach because this approach didn't work. That's a really hard sell. I mean, that's a really hard sell, and it's an impossible sell if you're in that command chain and reporting to that person. That person is doing your review, and that person's responsible, you know, for your ability to, you know, get more money or, you know, even lose your job. So, by keeping analysts, you know, being objective is hard for anybody. You know, I mean, even as an analyst, you have opinions and things, and, and but you really want them to be able to step out and not just fall in line with their command chain in terms of what they're saying. You want them to be able to tell the emperor there's no clothes. So. Um, and I totally agree with you. Um, for example, you might have a decrease in crime in your area, but you have um, you have a, a decrease in population that's even more significant. So really, you have an increase in crime in your area, and sure. nobody wants to hear that. They just look at the numbers, but they don't want to realize that really crime is up. <laughs> that right, kind of right. thing. Um, oh yeah. So when um, you we have analysts who are listening and they're wondering, well. We have this analytical unit. Hopefully we're going to have the automation that JSO, the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, has. But what kinds of things should we be producing? What kind? What's good analysis? What do your analysts produce that, that help your officers and your commanders? Well, well, the first thing I'd focus on is figuring out what they're not getting that they want essentially every day that's, that, that's something you're doing repetitively. I mean, or figure out what, if you could be doing it repetitively, that's what they would be wanting. And start with start there. Start with getting stuff off your plate that is just repetitive work. I mean, if if it's something you do the same way, you know, I mean, think about the process. I mean, people really have to think about the business process side here, and um, we we try and focus on that. The process is the you know the ACs want to see what's going on and they want to know about this this and if they're doing FIs in the area and whatever. Well, if that's what they want to know, that's what you really need to focus on helping them get in an automated or very fast way. You might start with trying to find ways to do it really fast. And then, you know, whether it be going from using Excel spreadsheets to crystal reports, whether it be kicking off crystal reports, you know, at midnight so that they're getting that data first thing in the morning and it's maybe published to a web page, find those tricks and things to get it out. Hey, if you can work with your IT department to let them, you know, uh, you know, do something through a digital dashboard for that, hey, great. But try and get those things off your plate um, first. 
You know, when I came here, one of the things I did was I literally often shut down the unit for weeks at a time. Most people would never be allowed to do that. But the, but the benefit of that was we went and we figured out, okay, what can we get off our plate if we'd be smarter about how we do it? It's going to open up our time to do the good analysis that's going to impress people and going to get people wanting to work with us. You know, you had analysts that were working their tails off. We had some brilliant analysts. I mean, you know, unfortunately we lost Stacey Belladin to Lake Lacrosse. Brilliant, brilliant. You know, but until she was in a, in a position to succeed, her success was really based on very hard work and individual brilliance. It was not based on the fact that she was in the right environment to really do the kind of analysis that she was capable of doing. Once you put her in that environment, once you got those things off her plate that you know were really bogging her down and put her in a situation where she was fast and flexible with whatever she needed to know for whatever type of thing she was supporting, she you know essentially turned from a, a, a great analyst based on just individual brilliance to 20 times more productive and still just as brilliant. And what kinds of things... Then to some of our listeners who don't know what analysts produce, what kind? Can you give us general examples, or maybe sure. specific uh, uh, examples of something that really made a difference? Yeah. Well, one thing we did is, I mean, we have a CompStat style meeting like everybody does. Um, analysts used to spend time getting ready for it. <clears throat> well, we figured out what everybody in the agency needed to review or be able to see. They need to see what incidents happened, and ours is sliced and diced by 30 days, seven days, day by day, the last five days. Um, you know, they get they have reports out there that show you, you know, kind of in a matrix. To show you what's going on, you know, the typical uh, percent increase, decrease for every kind of crime, for arrests, percent increase and decrease for every type of field interview. Um, ours even include the detailed lists, you know, so that they can actually go and check the case number and, and look at the individual's case. They want. We have all that stuff, you know, that's put out, that's on a website sitting for them in all these different PDF reports. Literally hundreds and hundreds of PDF reports are produced every day. Um, automated, we don't touch them anymore. I mean, it came out of analysis originally. Um, we, start, we, we set them up at first. We were kicking them off manually each day, but it was still only a few clicks for an analyst rather than actually making the report. Um, maps, we put out hundreds and hundreds of maps and PDF documents that are kind of, you know, shift maps by crime type, you know. Um, 30 day, seven day, all this kind of stuff, you know, for cops on the dots, so they can deploy themselves, they can see that stuff. That's what they needed to be able to walk into a Comstat style meeting, as well as be able to kind of deploy day to day in their roll calls and stuff. But those are the things that they needed, <clears throat> that they were getting from an analyst two days late, a week late, because the analysts were having to manually produce it. Plus, the analysts can only do so many of them, um, and now they get, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, and there's always room to grow on that stuff, and there's always room to refine. Um, when it comes to reporting and automating things, uh, I think a lot of people in IT departments get trapped in this too. Is they assume, well, let's build this, and they'll be we'll be done. You know, I mean, this stuff is always evolving. You're never going to get really out of this game fully, um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, you keep that way. You're keeping in touch with the changing needs or the in- interests of, of the people you're supporting. Right, and then you could find some things that were useful before are no longer important because people oh. have other things they look at instead of those. Hey, if you're doing a lot of stuff, one of the great things to do, and uh, you know, I was in Charlotte for five years before I came down here, one of the great things to do is just stop doing everything for a day. Because if you get in a position where you've been doing a lot of stuff over the years that's collected, you'd be surprised if you cut everything off one day how few people scream and you realize that two-thirds of that was stuff that nobody's using anymore. So, um, you know, you've got to have support from the top to be able to do that and make sure that, you know, you're not going to get uh, creamed. You've got to be ready to respond when people say, hey, I need that today. You know, where is it? It's usually out. But that's something that, that, that uh, is a really simple thing to do that uh, really opens your eyes sometimes if your unit's been kind of going along the same way for a while. So it sounds like a lot of um, the success you've had in Jacksonville has been anticipating the needs of your customers, which are in, in the business of policing, the street officer up to the sheriff, um, and everyone in between. And so that is not so glamorous. It won't be like on CSI or the <laughs> number, numbers. But there yeah. are things you've done as analysts that really are worthy of um, of saying we we found something that's important that's that helped save a life perhaps or you know got rid of a criminal so could you give us a story or two about what you know something that that you feel we never get the credit as analysts like you said analysts are consultants they're the side we're support staff analysts do not go out and arrest the person analysts do not Well, Not I mean, right, like CSI, we don't go yeah. in the field with our equipment usually, although some have. But well, you know, we, we've, we've got you know success stories from different angles. I mean, on kind of that tactical level, the, the stuff that would be on a CSI. I mean, we've got 
uh, an analyst right now, um, she's got two accommodations pending on a robbery because she was able to essentially give them the su- a suspect that they never could have found themselves, literally could not have found themselves. Um, and it's all because of data. I and mean, it's all because of her ability to see what they're working on, see what's going on with them, go back and, and, and dig up a person that worked. And, you know, that's somebody who's getting a felony conviction, you know. So we've, we've, we've got examples like that. But on a, one of the, my favorite stories to tell, and, and I like it because it really ties in a lot of different technology and data as well as working with officers and understanding the business of policing and the business of crime. Um, uh, Jamie Roush, who's currently my number two uh, here, she's, she's the manager. When she was an analyst, she had a situation um, where we had a bunch of ATMs being hit. Well, one of the things that she did is she really looked at those locations and she looked at some stuff that other people probably wouldn't look at. She looked at, um, we, we've got the obliques and the aerial photos kind of built into our GIS, so you can see, um, by obliques, I mean kind of the angled aerial photos. And, and she looked at the actual locations, and what she found, and this is not in the data, was that these are all in strip malls, um, and that they all had woods behind them. Okay, she had read a report that said something about some some made some mention of the woods or something, and and so she she kind of picked up on that. She actually looked at them using that that technology. So it's actually a you know aerial photos, for example, sound great, but how often do people really use them to solve crime? I mean, um, they they look cool, <laughs> but here here's the case. So she's looking at it. she's okay. There's woods behind all these different ATMs, and they're all strip malls. Okay, well we don't have data on strip malls versus ATMs versus regular ATMs. Um, most people don't even have their, their ATMs geocoded, but they should, and that's part of the, the prep side of knowing, getting the data and getting it ready so when you have the situation, you've got it. So she starts looking at our ATMs. Well, there's so many ATMs, but she starts looking, you know, using aerial photo- photography, at, okay, where are the ones that are similar environments, places like that? She also started looking at the calls for service, and what she realized was is that somebody was testing that alarm before that actual ATM robbery. So they would actually go and 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 try and kind of uh, jog uh, jog the doors and stuff to the building to force an alarm call to see how long the police would respond. So you got two things you know now. Now instead of knowing it's all ATMs, you know that there's only a handful of ATMs that really fit that kind of profile. Now we're a big city, 800 square miles, um, uh, and geographically we're huge population-wise, or I think we're on 20th or something for cities. But, but So she's got to look at a lot of different things. So here she is narrowing this down to you know just a few different locations that really fit the profile. And you also now know that if there's an alarm call, you need to, when you leave, you need to swing back around and check that place again. Um, bottom line is, is she actually... Uh, she actually, you know, obviously used that. They used that to target it. The first time she suggested the three places, um, uh, she, I think she said, do you do Friday, Saturday, Sunday night? I can't remember the details, but I think that they actually only did Saturday or Sunday night. It was on Friday night. But sure enough, um, just the fact that she had been right, the second you know, analysis she gave after that next one is where they need to be. Um, they, they definitely took advantage of that, and that's where they went, and they caught the guy. So that's the kind of very tactical level example of combining all these different traditional, non-traditional data sources and technologies um, to really add value to you know to something that the, the, the officer is probably not going to have time to do or the tech is not going to necessarily have the expertise to do. Right, and, and that speaks to what analysts good analysts have as characteristics two things is curiosity and self-motivation are are, need to be high because you have to have that curiosity to ask to think about those questions but you also have to be motivated to do the work which can be very extensive even in a automated system you know getting all those photos and (laughs) oh yeah and it's hard to know where to draw the line i mean you can take any case and and you could probably spend months on it i mean you it's really hard to teach an analyst when they're digging too far and when and they need to have more they'll have more success by moving on to the next case or the next issue and where draw where you draw that line as to how far you dig into something is very difficult and it may differ based on crime type. You know, you may want to dig a lot further. Obviously, in a homicide, then you're going to dig into a, a, a rash of auto thefts. Um, so, I mean, those are difficult things. You know, as policy uh, instructing analysts and, and developing your unit, those are difficult things to teach. Those are the things nobody tells you about. And, you know, teaching somebody how to use a software is one thing. Teaching them how to apply that in a real world scenario, um, and thinking and h- helping them be creative in different approaches to use that same technology. I mean, shoot, what we use mapping for in this country is probably 10% of its power. Um, you know, to, to what you could be doing. So those are all the kind of challenges you have when you're trying to really build a good unit. Is, is to really think about those sorts of things and and when you have that you know i always laugh if you don't like this job i mean you know you know if you don't like this job you need to find another job because 
there's no reason this shouldn't be a fun job. If it's not a fun job, it's because of personalities or personal issues, or they're not set up to succeed. Because if they've got, if they've got, you know, decent relationships, management that you know that they at least trust and, and somewhat like, um, and they've got tools to do their job, it's a fun job. Right. I had an example too. I, I saw it in retrospect, though. I gave um, data on a serial arsonist um, case to a, a mapping company that um, pictometry to use as a demonstration of, of the oblique photography. And mm-hmm. so when you looked at that, you could see that all the fires were at the end of the street and near a, a house that was boarded up. You know, so you wouldn't know that unless you use that type of tool. But Absolutely. so there's those kinds of things that um, require, first of all, access to to the tools that can allow you to visualize things, and um, and then also the time, and and that's why automation frees up the analyst. Yep. The value of automation to free up the analyst to actually do some more problem solving, and and the problem solving policing, problem oriented policing projects tend to be more strategic. Do you have an example of one of those before we close that you're working on, so that our li- this would make it more real to the listeners? Um, sure. I mean, I, I mean, I've, I've I came out of Charlotte, which was very heavily problem oriented. Um, you know, so I I kind of came out of background, so I was involved in a lot of a lot of things there, and you know, problem oriented. Oriented stuff. Actually, I mean, I think people really think of it on a on a high level, but it can be anything from getting laws changed to you know kind of that septed crime prevention through environmental design. You know, how do we change the fencing and the lighting? So it can be on a lot of different levels. I mean, uh, problems can be very different. You know, and so you know classifying them is kind of hard. There's still problems, and you still need to deal with them. And they can be simple and quick, or they can be really long and drawn out. And one of the things we we really uh, worked on, for example, was um, our home our home builder issues. Uh, you know. Uh, we had a big, massive, I mean, we're a very large, like I said, 800 square miles, and we've got, you know, entire neighborhoods the size of towns popping up on the outskirts of our city because um, we're, we're, we're a city county so that out in the in the more rural areas they're popping up a lot of these developments, and that's our responsibility. Um, so we had a lot of problems with that. Uh, one thing is is uh, we had been, accident, you know, kind of signing off on, on that without getting police resources to deal with the growth. You know, that was one issue. Um, but the other problem was is that, you know, we didn't want to reduce our already, you know, uh, you know, when you've got a large city, you've got a response time. You know, you want to keep a good response time, whether you're in rural or inner city type areas. Well, if we have patrols start going out into these areas where no one lives, where they're building houses because the houses are getting broken into all the time, and broken into, by the way, is an exaggeration. If if you have no garage door and you have boxes full of equipment, you know, full of washing machine and dryer machine, you know, in that garage, that's not really, you know, that's not much of a break-in. I mean, they just walk up and take it. Um, and so, you know, I think everybody's dealt with this issue in, in one way or another. And one of the things we did was we had air conditioners being taken. Well, we got one of the home builders to go to a thicker bolt um, to keep that air conditioner on its pad. And that, you know, that, that home builder no longer had a problem with it. But the reality of that of that exercise right there, I mean, there's an advantage right there in terms of, you know, we determined the air conditioners for the problem. We got one of the builders to commit to a thicker bolt that couldn't just be knocked off with a hammer. Um, you know what I mean? Broken, cracked with a hammer, um, and, it, and it solved that problem for them. The problem is, is you know, we were really ratcheting things up on our entire building, uh, all the building companies here. You know, it's one of those classic examples of where a few builders are really the ones that are the most irresponsible in how they're doing business. And uh, but they're also the ones the hardest to get to the table and the hardest to convince they need to change the way they do business. And this is an example of I think where a lot of problem oriented stuff falls apart. You have this may start with an officer or, or analyst, but at the end of the day, I mean it's gonna take somebody like the sheriff stepping in and saying, Look, we're gonna legislate to change things on you or you need to get in line with, with us on this. And that is a long, drawn-out process. They're not going to come to every meeting. You're going to have to make phone calls, getting them to the table. And you have to go through this process of, because they're going to suggest, well, you guys just need to do more cameras and more of this. And it's okay. Okay, we'll try that. You know, We know it's not going to work, but that's okay. We'll try it. And so what you do is you, tr- you, you do that stuff, and it's probably part of your project is you say, okay, we tried this. It doesn't work. It doesn't help us, and it's manpower uh, intensive or it's expensive. And, and you check off all these kind of defense mechanisms that the industry or whoever will have, or even conventional wisdom, which is, you know, policing is often wrong, unfortunately. Um, you start checking those out and say, okay, we, we went with what you said, and it didn't work. And you let, you let it fail. 
so that you can progress toward those solutions that really are going to work. But you need that agency commitment top to bottom, you know, to be able to ratchet things up like that and move forward. Now, the, we, while we got the one builders to do that with the air conditioning bolts, uh, the funny part is, is the market dropped out. So we've gotten to a point where we have recommendations that are, that are pretty nailed down and, and, and pretty solid. And, and we got to a point where the industry was, you know, kind of feeling like, okay, we're going to have to go along with some of these things. Um, and then the bottom dropped out of the market. We don't have a problem, and now we have copper stuff. <laughs> but Nicole is we, not now your problem. We do. Right, but, yeah. we, but we write that stuff up, and we have these white papers and recommendations, and and we keep them because when the when the market comes back, the problem is going to come back because we haven't dealt with any of the fundamentals of the issue. So you know, if if you're if you're Robin Banks, you're crazy. I mean, the if you don't want jail time and you want a you know a few percent you know three percent chance of getting caught and an even less percent chance of ever spending time in jail, you know why not go to construction site thefts over something like robbery? I mean, I mean we're really opening a door, uh, you know, and enabling the kind of crime that we're trying to stop by not working with that industry to change the way they do business, and that's not easy stuff. So we don't want the, any potential criminals to do that though okay <laughs> but well Sorry. thank you so much matt um we're at the end of the show mm-hmm. i want to thank the listeners for joining us on analyst corner and ask them to stay tuned for more expert guests and hopefully matt will come back with some you know for a short maybe shows on um, problem solving or something like that or best practices in crime and intelligence analysis in policing thank um so thank you and stay safe and i really thank- appreciate you as a guest Thank you. I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate what you're doing for you know our, our entire field. I mean, the kind of stuff you're doing in these interviews and having these on the web available, are, I, I think, are important for everyone. So thank you. Okay. Have a great day. Take care. Thanks. <laughs> Bye-bye.